needs help for that. So if you can do that, the mowers are here. Everything is here in the garage uh, next door to the building. And come down and uh, mow and help him out. It's a pretty big job, and, and uh, he does... He does get some help, but he ends up doing most of it. So let's keep that in mind if you're able to help. Also, Carol Galloway, she remains in the hospital. She remains on the ventilator, and she's having kidney dialysis still. Is that correct, Clinton? And uh, she is responsive uh, at times and everything. There's some improvement, but uh, we need to... Uh, Continue to pray for Carol and be with those doctors who are attending with her and pray for Clinton and his family. But we're glad to hear that she is doing some better. Kristen Ward will be having three weeks of high-dosage radiation and additional chemo. Keep Kristen, James, and that family in your prayers. Continue to uh, keep Eugene Stover in prayers. His condition has deteriorated. Uh, he is needing a heart, kidney, and pancreas transplant, as we talked about last week. And please uh, keep that family and Kim Stover and that family in, in your prayers. Be sure to pick up a bulletin. Uh, we haven't gone over everything and uh, see what's coming up. Of course, we know church camp's coming up uh, next month, and that's soon. That's, I guess, the day after uh, July the 4th, so let's remember that, and uh, let's go to God in prayer as we begin our services. Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful morning you've given us, and Father, that uh, we're able to gather here and worship you again this morning, and and we pray that we just never uh, take this for granted, Father, and just always be thankful that we are able to uh, get up and do that. And, and we're mindful of those, Father, who are shut in, who would love to be here with us, but uh, for whatever reason, they're not allowed to be here, can't be here, and we just pray for them, Father. And uh, Help us to remember them and, and, and send them cards or, or be able to visit now if, uh, if we can do that. Uh, Father, give them a phone call, whatever we can do to uh, make them uh, and let them know that uh, they're cared for and thought of, Father. We uh, pray for those uh, who were mentioned here this morning. Father, we pray that, uh, that you will bless them and we pray you'll continue to be with Carol Galloway. We pray, Father, for Kristen Ward, and, and uh, we pray for Eugene Stover. And, and Father, we're thankful for those who are, are doing better and, and those who are battling cancer, Father, at this time. We pray for Rusty and, and, uh, and continue to be with uh, Randy Ash and, and uh, Hank. Father, we ask that you'll continue to bless him. And, and Father, we're thankful for, uh, for baby uh, Theo. Father, we're thankful that things are going well there and, and that they are now home. We pray you'll continue to bless that family. We pray that you'll be with us this morning, Father, as we worship you. And, and we always worship you in spirit and truth. And, and Father, be with Chris as he brings us another lesson. And Father, we pray for our country. We pray that you'll bless our country. And, 
We pray, Father, for the uh, church camp coming up, that you will be with those, and, and they will have a good week, and they'll learn more about your son, Jesus. And, Father, those who are been traveling, those who are currently traveling, we ask that you'll watch over them and keep them safe. Be with us this morning, Father, as we worship you. Forgive us when we fall short in things you would have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you stand, please, for the first song. First hymn this morning, number 682. 682. To God be the glory. <clears throat> To God be the glory, great things He hath done, so lovely a world that He gave us His Son, who lived in His life and atonement for sin. Next hymn this morning, number 643, 643, The Lord My Shepherd Is. <clears throat> and after this hymn, Brother Sy Wilson, we'll have our scripture reading and prayer. Where living waters can be 
Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for all the many blessings you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to come together here to worship you, sing songs of praise to you. Lord, we thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the growth that we can see, for the beauty that surrounds us. Lord, we thank you for the chance to come together to be with one another, to converse, to uplift one another, to strengthen each other. Lord, we thank you for that opportunity and that privilege. Lord, we know there are many that are needed of your help, those that are sick, that are going through struggles. Lord, we pray that you'll continue to be with Carol as she's in the hospital and help the doctors and nurses that are caring for her give her strength and be with Clinton and the family as they help along the way. Lord, we pray that you'll be with Kristen as she undergoes her treatments. Lord, give her strength and the comfort that she needs to get through them. Be with James and the rest of the family as well. Lord, we just pray that you'll be with all those others that are in need of your help with whatever illnesses they may have. Lord, we thank you so much for those that have been willing to spread your word and those that continue to spread your word. Lord, we pray that your word will always be found in all regions and that we as Christians can spread your word and that your love can be seen in us. Lord, we pray that you'll be with Chris as he brings a lesson today. Help him say the things that may help somebody who is struggling or needs the direction that you can give. We pray that you'll be with John as he leads us in singing. Help us all to sing these songs and uplift one another and most of all, give praise to you. We pray that you'll be with us as we take of your the Lord's Supper. May we do so that's in a way that we can focus on you and understand the sacrifice that your son gave on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for your son, that he was willing to come to this earth to live, to teach, suffer and die, and rise again all for us. Lord, we know that we could never repay his sacrifice, and we know that it is his sacrifice that gives us a chance to be at home in heaven with you someday. Lord, we pray that you will just continue to be with us as we continue through this service. We pray that everything that we do and say here is what you would have us to do in, in accordance with your word. Lord, most of all, we pray that you'll forgive us of our sins and that you'll be with us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 8. Verses 34 and 35. Mark 8, 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it.
Next hymn this morning, hymn number 53, At Calvary. We'll sing the first, second, and last verse. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. No, we not it was for me. Matthew chapter 25, verses 26 through 30 reads, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to all of them and said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many by the remission, for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink the henceforth of this fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created. In the beginning God created. God created everything that we see, everything that, that we live upon, that we, uh, he has provided everything that we consume. And those creations that he made, the, the earth still revolves around the sun. After all those years, the trees still grow, provide shade, provide oxygen. The animals still continue to reproduce and provide for us. All the things that he put in motion still happen because they were perfect. And it boggles my mind that in the space of whether someone wants to say it was an actual week or someone wants to argue that every, you know, a thousand, uh, a day as if it's a thousand years, a thousand years as if a day to God whatever the time frame, 
it boggles my mind that he could set in motion all these systems, all these things around us to work perfectly the first time. And the only imperfection that resulted from that creation was because he gave us free will. And we made, made and make bad decisions. But he answered that with perfection. He answered that with a sacrifice on our behalf to pay a debt that we couldn't pay, to bridge a gap that we couldn't bridge, to make a way we couldn't make for ourselves. That sacrifice of Jesus. We have never seen a man hung from a cross in our lives. We have never seen a man beaten so badly that you could probably see his ribs. We have never seen a man mocked and humiliated and his only crime was loving us. We've never seen him, a man hung on a cross. We've never seen in real life nails driven through the hands of another man and hand, nails driven through the feet of another man. We've never seen him prop him up on a cross and watch him bleed from the wounds, watch him die. We haven't seen that. All we can see of that is through our mind's eye. But we do benefit from the, the hope, the love, and the way that was provided to us that day. Without him, we could not be where we are today. And because of that, it demands our all. Whatever we do, whoever we are, should be secondary to our life that we live for Christ that our life that we live for God, that God comes first always because when we were not perfect, he met us with perfection. God, also knowing our imperfection, established this Lord's Supper for many reasons, but I believe that one of them was is that we need a reminder sometimes. We get a little caught up in what goes on around us and sometimes our attention wanes, sometimes we get misguided. Sometimes we get overcome by the stresses of life. And we need to reset. We need a reminder. And God in his perfection gave us this reminder on the first day of every week so that we may meet that week renewed, regenerated, and our minds being where they should be. So as we take of this bread that represents that body that was given on our behalf, we need to make sure that we are resetting our minds. We are renewing our minds. We are concentrating on that sacrifice and what that means to us and the adjustments we need to make in order to be somewhat worthy of that great sacrifice. Will you pray with me, please? Dear precious Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we come before you as humbly as we know how. So very thankful for that sacrifice, dear Lord. Knowing that we could not have made away ourselves, dear Heavenly Father, and that through love and love alone, you sent your Son into the world to save the world. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us, that you forgive us our sins, dear Heavenly Father, and those transgressions that we commit. We pray that our that sacrifice is never made in vain on our behalf, dear Heavenly Father. We ask that you bless this bread that represents that body that was given for us. Let us take it in a manner that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Verse 27 says, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I can't help but whenever I think about this, of, of trying to imagine the scene in that dry, arid ground, the drops of blood, that to those that stood at the base of the cross looked like just regular blood from any other man. But as those blood drops dripped onto that dry ground, that was the blood that was saving you and me. And I believe that it, at that time, Jesus knew of you and me just as well as he knew of the people that were standing in front of him. And it was love for me and love for you that kept him there. We go to God in prayer with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, in continuation of our prayer, we are so very thankful for Jesus' willingness, dear Heavenly Father, to shed his blood so that we had an atonement for our sins, dear Heavenly Father. We ask that you be with us always, that we may strive toward perfection, dear Lord, that we do not continue in the, the old ways of sin, dear Heavenly Father, but strive towards you every day, drawing closer to you every day. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you bless this fruit of the vine that represents that precious blood that was given freely on our behalf through love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And that concludes the Lord's Supper. Separate and apart, we're also given a commandment that we lay by in store. And if we'll take just a few minutes, it's again, in our, in our lack of perfection, there's a lot of times that we give benefit, give credit to our successes. We give that credit to ourselves. Um, God is the God of provision. God is the God of love. And he provides for us. He provides for us not only the things that we need, but over and beyond what we need. Um, it amazes me daily the blessings and the work of God that goes on in our lives when we don't even know that it's happening. And then once it comes to fruition, to realize that he was there providing for us all along. He asked that we give back a portion of that, he's, you know, that he's given to us and that we do so with a cheerful heart, not begrudgingly, because all we are doing is providing back what he gave to us. We aren't giving him what we have. We're giving him back what he gave. We go to God in prayer with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we are so humbled and so thankful for the provision that you and the blessings that you provide to us, dear Heavenly Father. It's when we take the time to truly survey our lives, dear Heavenly Father, that that feeling of thankfulness is overwhelming. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we know that you provide everything. You provide the air that we breathe, dear Lord, but those things over and above, the things that we need to exist, we are true, truly thankful for. We don't deserve, but we are recipients of your love, dear Heavenly Father, and we are thankful. Dear Lord, be with us as we return a portion of that to you, dear Heavenly Father. Hopefully, help us to do so in a cheerful heart, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Lord, we ask that you help those that make the decisions on where these funds are used, that it may do, they may do, make those decisions that, that further your work and your church, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Lord, we thank you for all things. We ask that you guide, guard, and direct us always. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 400. Hymn number 400, Living by Faith. It's at this time that the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> I care not today what the morrow may bring, if shadow of sunshine or rain. The Lord I know will everything, and all Please be seated. Invitation hymn for this morning, <clears throat> number 389, let him, have, let him Have His Way With Thee, number 389, this time Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, we are in Mark chapter 14 this morning. Mark chapter 14. We have been... Steadily making our way through this, uh, I want to call it a short gospel, but we've been here for a long time, I feel like. Uh, but I hope it's been a rich study for you. Uh, it certainly has been for me. And uh, we are uh, making our way very quickly toward the end of this gospel. Today we're going to get through a little bit of Mark chapter 14. But uh, this, this chapter, uh, you'll notice... As we've progressed through this gospel, uh, Mark does something 
he's a very clever writer. Obviously, it's, it's written by inspiration, but uh, he is not just recording history for us. He is trying to make a point. Mark is not so much a historian, although he's recording accurate history. Mark is a preacher. He wants you to get his point. And so today, he's going to provide you for with several illustrations of his point. He's going to do uh, one on this side and then one on that side. And maybe it'll make sense as we walk through this, this gospel. But I want you to be paying attention to what he's trying to say as we go through Mark 14. You'll find these different stories uh, that he records for us. And remember, it's not just history. He's trying to get you to understand his point. He's just using Jesus' uh, interactions with different people to prove that point as he tells Jesus' story. Mark chapter 14, verse 1, he says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover you're familiar with, I'm sure. It's the celebration of uh, God saving Israel during the, ex- during the exodus from Egypt. Um, and so they celebrate that every year. On the, 14th, on the 14th day of Nisan, for us it's usually March, April, sometime uh, late March, early April. This Feast of Unleavened Bread is what happens. It's the feast, the week starting on the 15th of their month, Nisan, uh, right after Passover, this, this feast happens. So that's where we're going. Jesus is going to die on Passover, the day that the, the Passover lambs are being prepared uh, to celebrate God's redemption of his people in, in Egypt. Jesus is going to die while that's happening there outside of Jerusalem. So we're getting very close now. Uh, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Now, they've been trying to find an opportunity to ruin him in the eyes of the people, to discredit him. That's been their goal up until this point. They don't want to kill him up until now. They want to find a way to discredit him, to ruin him in the eyes of the people, because Jesus is attracting these crowds. These vast crowds of people are following Jesus, which means they're not following who? The Jewish leadership. And that makes them jealous. They are beside themselves that Jesus has taken away their following. And so now they're looking for a way to ruin him. Now, in Mark chapter 14, it's become obvious to them they're going to have to kill him. They're going to have to get rid of him because of the parable that he told them just a few chapters back uh, about the, 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 the vineyard owner and he sends his servants to uh, the vineyard owner uh, to the vineyard to collect what was his, the, the, the rent that was due, so to speak. And what did the vineyard tenants do? They beat some of them, they kill others. And finally, the vineyard owner sends his son, thinking, they'll respect my son. They see the son coming and they think, if we kill him, we can have the vineyard all to ourselves. And Jesus says, that's what the Pharisees are doing. That's what the Jewish leadership, it's not just the Pharisees, but the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, all these guys who were in control of the Jewish um, people, uh, of Judaism as a whole, the Jewish leadership is set against Jesus. And now they're looking for an opportunity, not just to ruin him, not just to discredit him, but they're looking for a way to kill him so that they can keep the kingdom. It has not escaped their grasp that Jesus is taking the kingdom back. 
Remember in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, that's what Jesus said he came to do. The Jews had absconded with, Jesus, with God's kingdom. They had kicked God off the throne. They said, we don't want your rule anymore. You're not going to be over us. We're going to make the rules. And so we put the crown blah, 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 on our own heads, and we are the king. And Jesus said, that's not how it works. He come in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, to take the throne, to take the crown back off of them and put it where it right belo- rightly belongs on, on his own head, on God's head. Now, in Mark chapter 14, they've realized there's nothing we can say that will ruin him in the eyes of the people. We're going to have to kill him. But we have to be sneaky about it. Mark says that they came uh, looking for an opportunity to arrest him by stealth and then to kill him. Why? Because they know that if they, if they do it publicly, the crowds are going to turn against them and they lose what they were going after in the first place. And so they have to be a little sneaky about this. Skip down to this next little section, starting in verse 3. Um, did you see what's going on in, in that first couple of verses, though? Hang with me. Get, get down to this story in verse 3. And I think you'll see a juxtaposition here between these two stories. So Jesus, uh, as, as has been his custom over the last several days, uh, he's not staying in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is packed. It's not safe for him there, even if he could find a spot to stay. Um, again, there's still no room for him in the end in Jerusalem. And so he stays right outside in this little city called Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. You go across the Mount of Olives, and there it is. He has friends in this city. You're familiar with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They live in Bethany. He's not visiting them on this occasion, though. He's visiting a guy named Simon who has, or had, maybe, leprosy. We're not told that Jesus uh, has healed him, but he's called Simon the leper. Uh, And so... He is sitting there with this man and his disciples. And this woman comes in. We're not told her name either. This happens on two different occasions. Mary will also come and anoint his, uh, his feet with the same type of oil, nard. Uh, it is incredibly expensive. This woman comes in and she breaks open the alabaster flask. It would have been small. Uh, and this, this little flask would have been uh, closed. You could not have rese- resealed it like... Uh, you're familiar with our essential oils today. You unscrew the lid and you oh, put a little drops in there and you can seal it back up. That's not what she did. She had to break the flask to be able to anoint uh, him with this oil. And the apostles kind of throw up an uproar, don't they? Uh, at least we're told by Matthew, one specific of them does throw up an uproar. In verse 4, he says, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Do you know how much 300 denarii is? It's just about a year's worth of wages. So for a common day laborer, they were given one denarii every day. Every day you come to work, you get one denarii. So this is about a year's worth of work. This lady is wasting an incredible amount of oil, this incredibly costly oil uh, on Jesus. Obviously, she's doing it to honor him for his burial. They don't see it yet. Somehow she does. Remember, Mark's all about the outsiders, the ones who don't have the knowledge, seeing who Jesus is while the apostles who ought to 
be on the end, who ought to see him clearly. It is, they still don't. They don't see him clearly yet, although they're beginning to follow uh, a little bit better than they have in the past. But this woman sees it. It's clear to her what she has to do. And so she goes and she honors Jesus with this incredibly costly oil. Some of the disciples, Matthew tells us that Judas especially, says, well, why, does this, why does this happen? We could have given this uh, to the poor, you know. These 300 denarii worth, we could have given it to the poor. Matthew tells us that Judas told, it, told us this not because he liked poor people, but because he stole stuff out of Jesus' purse. He's greedy. And so that's why he said it. But here, Mark just says the disciples or, or some folks around the table said indignantly, we could have given this to the poor. Now, you know the disciples by this point, probably, pretty well. Uh, have you heard them talk about the poor before? How many times? Can you point to the verse that they've thought about the poor? You can't, because they didn't. <laughs> they were not concerned about the poor. They were being a little self-righteous here. Uh, and so they, they throw up this, well, we could have given it to the poor. Well, you're not really concerned about the poor, or you would have been concerned about them beforehand. Jesus says, um, look down in verse 7, he says, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. You want. That's a thought that Mark cannot stop coming back to. He, he loves that idea, and you're going to see it multiple times today. You want. Whenever you want, you can go help the poor. Jesus says, well, right now, you're not always going to have me with, with you. So right now, she's doing this to bless me. And this, you won't always have me with you toward the end of verse 7 uh, in Mark 14. It's just another indication that he's not staying. Right? The first part of Mark, Mark 1 through 8, is all about who is Jesus? Who is he? Well, he does these incredible things nobody can do. And the people are just awed, dumbstruck by the power that he exhibits. And he does time and time and time again. In fact, Mark's going to record for you in Mark 1 through 8, 20 different occasions where Jesus just leaves the people dumbstruck by his power with his teaching. Uh, they've never heard anybody teach like he teaches. Something's different about him. And in the first eight chapters of Mark, Mark kind of throws this question out to you. What do you think he is? Who do you think he is? What are you going to do with him? Because in Mark, the 1 through 8, you've got to say that he's Jesus. You've got to say that Jesus is God. He cannot be anyone else. There's too much power. There's too much clarity in his teaching. He's got to be God. So what are you going to do with him? Mark 9 through 16, Mark pivots. He's not trying to convince you that Jesus is God now. I think he thinks, Mark thinks that, surely goodness, by this point, by Mark 8, if you haven't believed that Jesus is God, there's nothing else Mark can say to convince you. So he's just going to move on at this point. He's pivoting, and he's going to try to get you to understand who the Messiah is because the disciples don't get it. They're left out in the dark. They think that he's this conquering king who's going to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. And Jesus says time and time again, that's just not who I am. That's not what the Messiah came to do. He came to do something different, something bigger, something better. You're worried about this tiny little nation being oppressed by, these, by this tiny little people for this tiny little time period. And Jesus says, I'm worried about the entire world from all times and all generations and all people being 
oppressed by this thing that they can't solve themselves. His mission was much bigger. He didn't want to just liberate Israel from Roman oppression. He wanted to liberate the world from the oppression of sin. They couldn't get that just yet. But this, you will not always have me, in Mark 14, verse 7, is just another reminder. He's not staying. He's going to have to die. He's going to have to be uh, mocked and, and killed. His blood's going to be shed for us, like Steve uh, walked us through during the Lord's Supper so ably. So this woman has come through, and she is uh, honoring Jesus with this incredibly costly um, oil. And Jesus says in verse 9, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Her selflessness will be remembered. Forever, and indeed it has been. We're talking about it this morning. It happened 2,000 years ago. Her selflessness has been remembered. That's Mark's point. And you'll see it as we go through the rest of this, this what we're going to handle of Mark 14 today. He's going to start with a story of selfishness. You saw that. Look back in the first couple of verses. The, the, the Jewish leadership are being selfish, aren't they? They want the control of the people. Well, why? Because it makes them feel good. Because it, it brings in uh, extra money for them. It, it's what they want. They're being selfish. Do they care about the people? No. If they cared about the people, what would they do? They'd point them back to Jesus like they should have all along. They don't care anything about the people. They care about themselves. Mark's going to juxtapose their selfishness with this woman's selflessness. Right? She brings this incredibly costly um, oil to Jesus and doesn't save any of it. it. It's all on him. It's all for him. Let's get down to the next section, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. That, that word opportunity there, if you, if you write in your scriptures, you might want to underline opportunity because it's the exact same word that Herodias, that was used of Herodias way back um, in earlier on in Mark's gospel when she was looking for an opportunity to have John the Baptist killed. He's looking for a time when it's not going to hurt him a good time when he doesn't have to pay any of the consequence for his action. What's Judas doing? He's being selfish, right? A lot of people think that Judas that Judas was trying to push Jesus' hand. Maybe uh, he, Jesus wasn't moving at the, the speed with which Judas wanted him to move in establishing his kingdom and kicking the Romans out. And so Judas is trying to make Jesus go. I don't know that that's, trying, that that's what he's doing here. It looks to me, at least from what Mark says, that Judas just likes the money. Judas is just like the Jewish leadership, isn't he? He's out for himself. And so you've got the Jewish leadership that's selfish... You've got the woman who is selfless, and then you've got Judas who is being selfish. Look down in verse 12. As Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, this, this incredible thing happens, uh, and I kind of don't know what to do with it, so let's just read it and we'll talk for, about it for a second. 
And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? This is the day he's going to die. Everybody with me? And so they're like, the disciples are like, hey, Passover's a big deal. Where, where are we going to eat it? You eat it every year. We're here in Jerusalem every time. Been doing this. This is the third time they would have done this. So where are you going to eat it? You don't have a house in Jerusalem, so where are you going to eat it? Jesus does this really incredible thing. This is what he says, verse 13. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. How many people are there carrying water jugs in Jerusalem? There's like a million, maybe literally a million people in Jerusalem at this point. Everybody needs water to prepare their sacrifices and stuff. This, they, Jesus tells them to go into the city. You're going to find a guy carrying water. You follow him. How do they know which guy to follow? I don't know. Follow him, verse 14, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And this guy, in verse 15, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, prepare for us. Do you see, like, what would you do if Jesus said, okay, go into Columbus and you're going to find a guy, guy driving a red car. Follow him. Like, okay. <laughs> it doesn't make an awful lot of sense, doesn't it? does it? I don't know if this is miraculous. I guess it is. What we're really after, and I think what Mark is really after for us to get here, it happens in verse 16. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. They did it. Did it make sense to them? Probably not. It doesn't make sense to me. The point is, they did it. They followed. The disciples haven't been big followers throughout Mark's gospel. They've had an awful lot of questions. They have had an awful lot of ideas of their own. They've been selfish, right? But now, finally, they're starting to follow. Finally, after three years, they're starting to follow a little bit, aren't they? Jesus' point is getting across. They're starting, they're starting to follow. And when they followed, guess what happened? Everything turned out just the way he said it would. That's a lesson they needed to hear. But guess what? It's a lesson we need to hear too. You may not understand and you may not like what God is telling you to do. The, kinds of li- the kind of life that he's asking us to live. The sacrifices that he's demanding that we make. The devotion that he asks from his people. The difference there's got to be in us, between us and the world. Those things are necessary. We may not like those things. We may not understand why those things are necessary. But guess what? We have to follow. We have to submit. And when we submit, everything turns out the way he said it will. That's the lesson the disciples needed just as much as we do. Verse 17, uh, the Passover meal starts... um, Let's just read it very quickly here, starting in verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And so then they're, they're trying to figure out who it is. You know, it's one of the twelve. Jesus has been clear about that. One of these twelve are going to betray him. So which one is it? And even Judas asks, uh, is it me? And, and, and uh, and I think it's Matthew's gospel, and Jesus says, yes, it's you. You, know, you, you said it's right. Um, 
here in Mark's gospel in verse 20 says, It's one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. It's one of you twelve is going to betray me for the Son of Man as it for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. He's gotta die. We're not told which passage he's um, he's referring back to here in the Old Testament. As it is written, that's that's Jesus' way of saying, Hey, there's a verse in the Old Testament you need to pay attention to. He's not quoting from a specific Old Testament verse, although Isaiah 53 would certainly fit here, wouldn't it? But he says, so what's going to happen to him, to the Son of Man, has been recorded a long time ago, and that's been set in stone since then. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been better for him if that man had never been born. You've got to think that Judas is sitting there listening to this, thinking, maybe I shouldn't betray him. He does. Why? Because he's selfish. Here, you've just been uh, butted up against Judas's selfishness uh, of... uh, You've you've just seen Judas's selfishness. But right here, as he starts instituting the Lord's Supper, you're going to see Jesus's selflessness. Men, the Mark 14 is all about selfishness as contrasted to selflessness. Listen to what he says uh, in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That's his selfless act. He's giving everything. Remember how the woman gave everything that was in the, the, the flask, the ointment? She gave it all. She broke it. It was final. Jesus says, I'm doing the same thing. I'm giving everything. Everything It's poured out for everyone. I'm dying. This is his selfless act. Verse 25, I think this is just really interesting. He says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Catholics believe that when they take the Lord's Supper that it turns into Jesus' blood, right? Well, an interesting sidebar here is Jesus didn't think that. In verse 24, he says, this is, the blood of my, of the co- this is my blood of the covenant. But then in 25, when he's talking about that same substance, he calls it fruit of the vine. It's not, not literally his blood. Symbolically, metaphorically, figuratively, it's his blood. Literally, it's, it's fruit of the vine. So, quick sidebar there. Verse 20, 26, um, they sing a song and they go out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, once again, has... Uh, this, uh, this saying for them, they're, they're, they're going to betray him. Uh, in verse uh, 26 or 27, he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It's been prophesied way back in Zechariah 13, verse 7. That's where that quote comes from. And so the Old Testament, God knew that the disciples were going to, to uh, betray him on this night. Um, verse 29, Peter says, Even though they all fall away, I will not. I will not forsake you, not for any reason. Verse 30, Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he said emphatically, Peter said emphatically, I, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. All, all the disciples said the same thing. Judas has already left at this point in Matthew uh, and Luke tell us that. And so all the, the other ten disciples, including Peter, emphatically, we're not going to deny you. This deny word, underline it, because it's said twice here in this passage, 
which shoots our minds all the way back to Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35 that Cy read for us this morning, doesn't it? Our minds go all the way back to that because that's where Mark's gospel, that's the heart of it. It's about the gospel. This life is about sacrificing yourself for his good. This night, the night in Mark chapter 14, after Jesus is arrested, Peter's going to choose himself over Jesus. He's going to do it three times before the rooster crows twice. Peter chose himself. He did not deny himself like Jesus said he had to back in Mark chapter 8. If you want to be a disciple, you got to what? You got to deny yourself. Peter says, I'll deny I'll deny myself. I'm not going to fall away from, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to follow. He's starting to get it, right? I'm going to follow. He may have wanted to follow, but when push come to shove, who did he choose? He chose himself over Jesus. Peter is the selfish one in this, act, in, in, in this section. And in a little bit, in, next week you'll see, we'll walk through the, the Gethsemane um, prayers and, and the crucifixion also, and you'll see Jesus' selflessness actions. But here, Peter is choosing himself over Jesus. If we don't get anything else out of this section, I think what Mark wants us to get is there are times when you have to make a decision as a disciple Disciples make decisions, and one the, the main decision that we make as a disciple is, who am I going to choose? Because there are a, a great many occasions when what's in my best interest is not what's in Jesus' best interest. Those two oppose each other a lot, right? I can choose me, or I can choose him. Peter says, I choose me in this passage. Judas says, I choose me. The Jewish leadership says, I choose me. Jesus says, I choose you. Because death is, is the choice, right? And next week as he walks through the Garden of Gethsemane, you're going to see him choosing you over himself multiple times. There are times when, as we walk through this life, we have to deny ourselves. And choose him. We've got to choose him. Even when, especially when, it's not in our best interests. When choosing him hurts us. Would it have hurt Peter if he had chosen Jesus instead of himself? Probably would have. The Jewish leadership was on the war path that day. And the Romans seemed pretty compliant. Peter could have ended up on a cross right next to Jesus. Would that have been the better choice? Yes. Even death is the better choice than denying him. There are times when you're going to have to make a similar decision. When what's in your best interest and what's in Jesus' best interest, the kingdom's best interest, are oppositional. They oppose you're going to have to choose him. That's the life of a disciple. We deny ourselves and we choose him every time. And so that's, that's the decision you're left with this morning. Are you going to deny yourself 
and choose him? Or are you going to pick you? We've already seen. Remember back here in Mark chapter 14, uh, when the disciples go into Jerusalem, it didn't make sense to them, but what? They followed and what? Everything worked out. That's, that's exactly what we're talking about today. It doesn't, it doesn't always have to make sense to you to deny yourself and choose Him. To hurt yourself so that His agenda can be accomplished. It doesn't have to make sense, but it has to happen. You have, we have to deny ourselves so that His agenda can be accomplished. So this morning, if you're ready to deny yourself, if you're ready to sacrifice yourself, so that you can accomplish this agenda. You have to be baptized into Christ that washes away all of your sins. And you become a brand new creation in, in God's eyes. It's incredible, right? What are the possibilities? Endless. You're pure and clean and ready to start a brand new life. All the things that, that are held against you, all the sins that you've, that you've done up until that point, washed away and gone and never to be remembered. Maybe you've already made that decision and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, to be someone who sacrifices themselves, who denies themselves so that you can accomplish Jesus' agenda in this generation and in our culture and in our community. We want to pray with you any way we can. We want to help you in any way we can. If you have any need, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Would you live for Jesus, and you always do Would you walk with Him, within the narrow road? Would you have Him take your and carry on your load?
close at this time with uh, hymn number 250. Hymn number 250. How sweet, how heavenly. We'll sing the first three verses and then Brother Dickie Parker will do some prayer. How sweet, how heavenly quick additional announcement and correct me if I'm wrong Dan uh, Matt and Destiny's baby Theo is back in the hospital with jaundice is that correct coming home this afternoon okay good let us pray our gracious and heavenly father we are so thankful for the time that we've had to gather here this morning to hear your word and sing songs of praise to you. Father, we hope everything said and done here is in accordance to thy will and pleasing to thy sight. Father, we ask that you be with those that are sick, those that are in need, those that are shut in. Father, we ask that you be with our sister Carol and her time and her family during this time. Father, as we walk in the world, we ask that we be the light that you want us to be. Father, we thank you for Jesus and all the love that he showed for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <laughs> 